Welcome to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast, where you go behind the scenes with financial planner, speaker, and consultant Michael Kitsis to hear stories of how leading financial advisors navigated the inevitable challenges that arise on the path to success and get insight from leading industry consultants about how to break through to the next level in your advisory business. And now here's your host, Michael Kitsis. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the 359th episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. My guest on today's podcast is Eric Miller. Eric is the Chief Financial Advisor and Co-Owner for Econologics Financial Advisors, an independent REA based in Largo, Florida, that generates more than $4 million in revenue while working with nearly 300 client households. What's unique about Eric, though, is how he leverages a custom-built financial planning assessment he calls their Financial Prosperity Index, which he gives to both prospective and ongoing current clients so that they can better understand their financial health and target the financial planning domains where clients need most help, and even more importantly, be able to track their progress over time and demonstrate the value of ongoing financial planning without needing to just talk about the numbers of net worth and investment performance. In this episode, we talk in depth about why Eric intentionally built his financial prosperity index to cover a hundred different questions where the client scored across nine different domains and then receives an aggregated weighted score and a letter grade with identified areas of improvement to lift their grade sire. Why Eric has found that even prospective clients will take the whole hundred question assessment before the first meeting because ultimately they want to see their score and get feedback on how they're doing. And why, because Eric Niche focused his practice on healthcare practice owners, and even more specifically, physical therapists, veterinarians, dentists, and optometrists, he's been able to develop additional, even more refined assessments geared to their specific business needs to further demonstrate the value of their advice beyond just the portfolio. We also talk about why Eric chose to niche focus his practice because he saw firsthand from his family members who work in healthcare that those in the industry were being underserved and he felt he could provide a meaningful difference in their lives. How Eric grew his practice by developing relationships with business consultants to medical professionals and offered the consultants a three-day in-person financial education course that they could offer to their business clients allowing Eric to get in front of his ideal prospects while also creating benefit for the consultants who were allowed to charge for the program that Eric delivered. And how because Eric charges up to $6,500 as an upfront planning fee and a $475 a month subscription fee to work with clients ongoing, his firm is on track to generate more than $4 million in revenue this year with barely one-fourth of his revenue coming from traditional AUM fees. And be certain to listen to the end, where Eric shares why, even though his firm added 60 new clients last year, Eric has his sights on acquiring at least 100 new clients per year going forward so that he can grow and scale the firm even faster because he wants to help more people. How Eric historically struggled to celebrate his wins because he was constantly focusing on the next goal, but has grown to appreciate the almost therapeutic benefits of just taking a moment to appreciate the accomplishments and progress that have already been made. And why Eric believes that younger, newer advisors should focus not just on the technical skills, but on developing good communication skills and becoming more self-aware of how they communicate with clients. Because good communication skills lead to better client engagement, which is what ultimately drives a successful career as a financial advisor. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast with Eric Miller. Welcome, Eric Miller, to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. 
Thank you very much. It's um, it's a privilege to be here. I do want to say one thing. I want to acknowledge your support staff, Michael. They they really oh, do excellent. a top notch job. Uh, very competent people. So I I appreciate that. We worked very hard to build the, build the team in our own kind of special nerdy fashion, as it were, to <laughs> to keep our the good attention to detail we like to do around here. They were great. Fantastic. I appreciate that. And I, you know, and I, I, I really appreciate you joining us here today as well to, uh, you know, to, to dig, I think into today, uh, a topic that I kind of hold near and dear to my heart around what we do as advisors, which is this, this phenomenon of how do you measure the, the value of advice, the success of advice, just this like, how do you know it's it's working? I mean, there's always the proverbial like that work with us for 30 years, trust me, you'll thank me in the long run, which I totally believe is true. Mm-hmm. I really do. It's not the most resounding thing to try to like present to a prospect or even to take a client who's, you know, merely three to five years in the relationship, like I have 27 more years and you're so gonna see it. Uh and and I know you your firm has taken an interesting approach with this that I'm I'm just seeing starting to crop up with a couple of different firms where you you built your your own version of I guess basically as I think about like an an assessment uh like how are you doing in your in your financial life assessments that is not necessarily just the quantitative math like let's let's measure your your financial performance and your returns next to benchmark and such but much broader and much more holistically like how are you doing across all of the different financial planning domains of your life? Can we can we give you a questionnaire, assess how you're doing, and then give it to you again after a year and see how it's doing better, and give it to you again after a year and see how it's doing better? And that when you when you build something that, because I think about it, like is a little bit more qualitative, you can really show clients how they're making progress over time in a manner that is always hard when you're just truing it totally based on investment portfolios or net worth and such where like they only save and invest there's only so much we uh, uh, economic value that gets created in the span of a couple of months or a couple of years but you know someone's overall holistic planning picture really can materially change in a couple of years if you've just got some way to measure the progress yeah, it it definitely has been an interesting tool for us to utilize. And to your point, I think look, people are are visual; they like to see, and and everyone likes to keep score. Who doesn't like to keep score? Yeah. So you know, if you look at the number of people that check their credit score on a daily basis, uh, you know, it's probably in the in the millions or or, or more. So. And, and when it comes to your financial life, you know, it's not just made up of just like you said, just your investments and the performance of your investments, or your portfolios. Um, there are a number of different areas that that we know that clients need to address. And if they're not, then that could turn problematic. So we just wanted to create something that we felt was, um, you know, comprehensive enough but simple enough too, so they could see it visually and say, oh, okay, I'm doing well in this area. I'm not doing well in this area. And then most importantly, like, what can we do now to fix this? You know, what's the next step now to fix this? So, so can you describe for us a little bit more just what you, what you created to, to try to do this and score clients? I mean, we're 
run a podcast, as you said, like people are visual. So let's yes. talk about it. <laughs> but try try to help us understand like what you what you created here. So we basically said, okay, what what would be an optimum condition for someone as it relates to their personal financial condition? And like you said, I'm sure that advisors are all going to have different definitions of, of what that would look like. But, you know, if you Googled financial freedom uh, and you're going to get, you know, a thousand different answers of what financial freedom actually is. So we had to kind of start and say, okay, well, what would a definition of financial freedom look like? And also at the same time, knowing who, who our public is or who our niche is, which is mostly healthcare owners, we had to build it a little bit around that as well. But we said, okay, the definition of, of financial freedom for us would be, you know, someone that has a household where they have an abundance of income coming in from multiple sources would be free of all bad debt. They would have created uh, uh, income sources that could pay for their basic lifestyle. They had a business that was profitable, sustainable, and transferable. Their assets were protected from taxes, inflation, and lawsuits. And they had time to pursue whatever life goals. That's the optimum condition right there. Okay. And I think most of us can agree that that is an optimum financial condition. So I'm noting that's that's a little bit of a mixture of I've got purely sort of quantitative things like i'm not carrying a pile of bad debt um you know i've got income sources that cover my my core lifestyle expenses but i'm knowing some of this is like a a little bit more qualitative like you know I've, i've got the capacity to pursue my life goals which is that's sort of partially financial partially other Correct. um you know just my income sources are diversified that's sort of qualitative my business is sustainable and transferable little, little bit of subjectivity yep. to that that just i'm struck like just this is not you're not just describing like let's get you know 12 financial data points and we're just going to put in like 12 numbers and and give you a score that doesn't really sound like the context that 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 is correct that is correct okay um so you know, after we we came up with that definition, we were then, okay, so what what are the areas, if you're looking at a human body, right? Like the human body has certain systems, cardiovascular system, it has a respiratory system, it has all these different systems that make up the human body. And, and they're all pretty similar to from human to human to human, right? So when it came to looking at the financial condition of a household, we said, okay, well, what do we all have in common? And, you know, certainly income planning, debt and credit, estate planning, taxes, asset protection, investment. These are all areas that obviously from person to person, we all have those things in common. And there is an optimum condition for each of these areas. And that's kind of where the premise for the assessment came from. And then from there, we had to dig down and say, okay, well, what questions can we ask someone for this specific area? Like, what are the eight to nine questions that would signify how someone is doing in this particular area? So we had to come up with, you know, the the nine to 10 questions for each of those particular areas. And when we did that, and we kind of looked at it and said, okay, we have a hundred question assessment here that would allow someone without having to give us any data at all. Like, we don't ask for any statements or retirement accounts or bank accounts or 
asset and liability sheets? You know, what questions can we ask in a yes, no, or maybe um, format? So that's the context here. Like, yeah, even the things that are more quantitative, I guess, like you're, you're not asking them to put in, you know, enter, enter the balance of your credit cards that you're paying interest on or something. You're, you're just asking them some yes, no, maybe like, are you carrying a material amount of credit card debt? Exactly. So one of the questions would be, you know, have you updated your, you know, your uh, will in the last, you know, three to four years? You know, we're, we're asking basic questions, I think, but they do uncover, you know, whether or not that person uh, is, is certain that they have whatever the question would be, they've, they've actually done something about it or not, you know, and a lot of the, the answers we usually get are no or, or maybes because they don't know. Right. So, you know, when they finish the assessment, you know, typically the average score is right around 420. That's what we found the average score and, to be. And just I, like scored on what to, to what, like, just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know what the context of a 420 is. It was uh, a 500 where I'm feeling good or is that up to a thousand where I'm feeling not so good? I think the the top score is 850 that you can get. So again, we tried to mirror a credit score because I think people have familiarity with that. Okay. So when we came up with that number, like, okay, well, just 850 will be the number. And, but, you know, we just, we found that, that so many people um, have, there's just, I don't knows, financial, I don't knows are so prevalent amongst even the, the type of people that we deal with. So basically um, lots of people answering maybe to yes. your questions. Have you updated your will in the past three years? Uh, maybe. <laughs> like I forget when we did it. It was a few years ago. I'm going to go with maybe because it feels better than no. Well, I will tell you of, of all the, the nine different areas of that make up that assessment and uh, the estate planning one is generally the one where you'll see the zero at the bottom mm-hmm. because most people just have not confronted that area for whatever reason. It, is, it is a little depressing. It's whole, very depressing. Whole, whole death, the whole death thing is – it's a little morbid. So uh, – so how we understand a little bit more. So you've got, so you've got these different dimensions that you're evaluating, like income from sources, bad debt, um, sustainability of your business. Because you you said you work with healthcare practitioners, so we'll 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 come back to that in a bit. But uh, so I guess I'm I'm just trying to visualize overall. I mean, like how do you surface back results? Like just you took a hundred questions and your score is 420. I'm like, okay, like what do I do with that? (laughs) It's for us, it's a point now of being able to educate them and say, okay, so in the, in the debt and credit system, you know, you, you said you weren't certain about uh, when uh, you were going to have your, your debt, your bad debt paid off or, um, some of your ratios, your debt ratios were higher than what they should have been. So it, we just, we utilize it as a point to say, okay, well, what are the action steps now that we can take to rectify this area? So like, and again, one of the sections would be like taxes. And, you know, I think one of the questions on, uh, on taxes would be, again, you know, knowing the, the types of professionals that we work with, you know, um, my effective tax rate is over 40%. So we're, we're just trying to ask questions that are going to uncover t- 
for these people. Like, you know, am, am I doing all right? Am I not doing all right? Like, like what should I be doing next? And, you know, it's just been a very valuable tool for us as advisors to really start at least getting into the conversation with, with our clients and saying, okay, let's, let's come up with a, with a real plan so that we can actually handle this. Because if we don't, then, you know, it's just going to be, uh, you know, it's going to turn into something worse down the line. So that's, that's how we've been utilizing it in implementation and working with our clients. So, so how does this like get communicated back or presented back to the client? Like, do they, do they just get a, a, a score? Do they get like sub scores? You're like, here's your estate score and here's your debt score. And then like they add up to 420. Uh, like how does the, how does it get communicated back to them? So it's actually a, uh, it's a PDF that they would get and it's a graph so at the okay. top, at the top is going to have all of the, the areas, policy and procedure, business viability, income planning, debt, credit, estate planning. And then we have it on a scale from down at the bottom would be, you know, zero up at the top would say would be 90. So it's, it is, it, it is a, it's a graph and each of those points, then they can see, oh, my debt and credit is in the green zone. And then my estate planning is in the red zone. So we, diff- we, we, we added some color, some graphics to it so they can see being in green is good. Being in right. red is bad. And, and really, and truly, it's just, it's just, it doesn't tell anybody like I'm rich or I'm poor. It doesn't right. really indicate that. It's really just saying, do I have my basic financial rudiments in place? And we built it really on those. Like, do I have my, my basics in place? Am I saving, you know, uh, appropriately? Um, do I have, like I said, our, our basic estate plan, our wills, our durable power? Do I have these things in place? Um, you know, from an investment standpoint, uh, you know, kind of a similar thing. We just ask questions that, that would indicate whether or not they have their right. basics in. So that's really been the success of the tool. So w- would you be willing to share, like, do you have a sample of this just for people who want to see, as the saying goes, pictures are a thousand words. Uh, <laughs> is like, is there a sample you'd be willing to provide just so people can get a little bit more of a visual sense of what this looks like? Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it is, it's very easy to do. I can, we can put up a graph. We actually even put it a score there too. So we have the score. It's, uh, and I, and I, and I misspoke. It's actually, it's uh, out of 900 is the top score. Okay. Um, And then we also put a grade there with it as well. So just like, you know, A, B, C, D, F. uh, So that would be, that's part of it as well. And again, we had to make it real for people to understand what am I looking at here? So, so for folks who are listening, this is this is episode three hundred and fifty nine. So, if you go to kitsis dot com slash three five nine, we'll have a link out to to Eric's um, uh, like sample scoring system, client scoring system. What do you call it, Eric? Because I yeah. client scoring system sounds a little bit inappropriate. <laughs> we, had to, we had to come up with a cool name. Yeah, we just yeah. we just called it the Financial Prosperity Index. Okay. So yeah. if you want to see a sample of the financial prosperity index, which sounds a lot better than the client score system, kitsis.com slash three five nine and, and we'll we'll have a link out to the to the sample. So Eric, you mentioned a couple of categories in there. It's like business viability and such. Can you walk us through those once more? Just like what 
what are the categories? Like, what are you actually scoring people across? Yeah. So the first one would be financial planning. So, uh, and some of the questions would be, you know, built around, does someone have a plan? Are they following a plan? Are they implementing a plan? So we would, we came up with questions related to whether or not someone is actually doing any planning. And if they are, the top of the the score would would provide success. If not, the bottom would be, you know, failure. The next one would be policy and procedure. And when I say policy and procedure, you know, one of our main themes or philosophy that we try to teach um, our clients is that they have to run their household like a business. And uh, and if you're going to run a successful business, then you probably should have policy and procedure in your business. So we, we try to have that same mindset when it comes to running your finances of your household, that there needs to be, you know, policy and procedure amongst the, let's say the, uh, the executives of the household, which is usually the, um, the husband and the wife. So what and, kind of things do you ask? It's like, you know, do, do you have a system to make sure your bills are paid every month? Like that, it, it, that kind of stuff. It's similar to that. You know, are, are, are you communicating with your spouse regularly? Do you have a meeting regularly? Mm. Uh, do you have accounts set up where you're allocating money? Are you preparing for quote unquote unpredictable expenses? I mean, there's a lot of things that go into policy and procedure okay. and we try not to make it too complex because, you know, right. let's face it. I think, you know, we could always, we could probably write thousands right. of policies right. if we wanted to, but what is going to keep this household in agreement with one another when it comes to money, especially since, you know, it seems like the divorce rate is, is generally um, built around arguments about finances. Right. So it's important for us to say, okay, what are, are you two on the same page um, with how okay. the finances are going to be run? Okay. Um, so that's, that's what that part is. Business viability. Again, if, if you own a business, it is, you know, it is part of your household portfolio and is generally a big part. And I would say that with most of the people that work with business owners, I mean, the values of their businesses probably make up 60 to 70% of their net worth. Yep. So as an investment component, it's really important that that business is viable and it's profitable and it is, uh, you know, there's a plan for it to transition at some point to someone else. So we asked some questions on the viability of their, of their business and to make sure that it's in, it is in, you know, a certain condition. Um, you want to keep going? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm fascinated by yeah. these. Yeah. So the next one would be income. And of course, what we're, okay. we're trying to figure out there is number one, are you making enough money to live the life that you want to live right now? And then are you planning on creating future income sources and you have a plan built around that? So when it came to income, you know, because again, we, we work with business owners that have a, have power over how much money that they make. So they're not just, a, you know, wage earners. They don't, you know, they, right, they have a set right. wage. It's like, no, you know, you have some, you have some say in how much income that you make and let's plan out how much you really need to be able right. to live the life that you want to live. So, you know, we built questions around that debt and credit, I think is pretty self-explanatory. You know, yeah. we want to make sure that their debt and credit is in a good condition, state planning, same way taxes. You know, again, we, we want to make sure that they're, that they have control 
over their tax situation. They're, they're filing on time. They are, you know, looking for strategies to try to minimize their tax liability. They're in communication with their, their accountants on a regular basis. You know, so we build questions. So they're efficient in their taxes. Um, Two more we have, actually there's three more asset protection. So we ask questions obviously on, you know, do you have proper amounts of insurance? Um, Do you, you know, have assets that you own in your own name? Do you have, you know, limited liability corporations if needed, you know, basic questions built around asset protection. Then on the investment side, you know, it's, do you understand the investments that you own? Um, (laughs) When's the last time, which (laughs) most Uh people, (laughs) sure. Uh, Most people can't answer. Maybe. Yeah. That's a good maybe. You know, one question we'll ask, do you have a household investment policy statement? And uh, I think so. I don't know. So, and then actually the last category is help. Help. Like, yes. Do you have people you can go to for help? No. So I think if you would think that. I think one of the one of the biggest problems that us as advisors have is that we're sometimes dealing with people that have a tough time being helped. And I wanted to and if you've ever had difficulties with clients, which I have. One of the things that I uncovered later on was that you can actually ask questions to people about the subject of help. Can you be helped? Have you ever had a bad experience in trying to be helped by another advisor? Right. And it failed. And it's Mike, Michael, I tell you, it's one of the it's one of the things that we do up front now when we're dealing with new people that I will ask them, can you be helped in, 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 in questions that will uncover whether or not they well, can or not. It's a powerful way just to clarify. I mean, I think that both in two dimensions, it, it lets you unearth the conversations of telling me about your experiences working with other advisors because yes. there are people have all sorts of baggage around that, that then impacts the, the relationship as well as just, you know, at the end of the day, right, are they are they going to be interested and open and willing to take advice? Are they likely to implement? Or right? just that I can see just the the person who can't answer that well, that's probably a pretty good indicator of like this is gonna be someone who's not likely to follow your recommendations and implement. And and you're exactly right. And really it's just getting them to talk about the subject of help for whatever reason, seems to be therapeutic to someone like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, I'm, I remember talking to one guy and, and I asked him, like, have you ever had a bad experience with a, with a financial advisor? And he's like, nope, I never had. And then, but there was something, he was still resistant to me about talking and opening up. And I was like, okay. I was like, did you ever see anyone else have a bad experience with, with a financial advisor? And he just opened his mouth and just started talking about uh, an advisor that was dealing with his mother. And Mm. it it was just, but all I did was just let him just let it get it out. Yeah. It was almost like a therapy session in some cases. Right. But something magical happened after that is that after he was able to communicate that um, I just gave him a, a really a good acknowledgement. So thank you for telling me that. And then the conversation went completely different. He was open. He was, uh, 
you know, willing to talk to me because I asked him a question that no one had ever asked him before. So I think, look, as human beings, we all want to help. You know, I think you do what you do because you love to yep. help. But, uh, but there has been a lot of times where people have been betrayed and now they don't think help is possible. Right. So it's really, I think it's an important area that, that everyone can do better at when you're talking with people up front about the subject of help. So, so I, I just like, I got to ask like a <laughs> hundred questions is a, a lot. Like I'm, I'm assuming this has been iterated over time. So like, how'd you end out at a hundred and not 200 or like not, not down to 50. Like you could just ask them two questions in each of these areas. Like, how did you, how did you come to the, the design that you've settled on that you've been running with? Well, uh, I think when we, we first started out and I'll have to give, uh, kudos to my, um, now ex-partner because he was really instrumental in, in helping build this. Um, but, uh, you know, it came down to, what is tolerable for people to take? And I don't know that we knew whether or not people mm-hmm. would fill out a hundred questions um, or, and we've over the years, you know, of course I've thought about it right now. Like, you know, is this just too much? Could I get more? Well, I mean, engagement? Our, Can I get more engagement if people would, uh, well, I mean, you're using 50, you're using practice. Are they, are they taking it? <laughs> they're taking it. All right. Well, yeah. So they're, they're like, ta- Results are what they are. If they're taking it, they're taking it. It's true. It's true. Well, it's a requirement for all of our of our clients to take it every single year. So, okay. so we do make it a requirement as part of our checklist when we're doing an annual review with somebody is that they have to fill out not only this. We actually created another one for their practice as well, um, but that's more geared on the on the the practice side. But, uh, but yeah, it's a requirement. People take it begrudgingly sometimes. Of course, every once in a while, I'll hear people say, gosh, I got to fill out that assessment again. I'm like, yes, but don't you feel so good when you see your score go from, you know, 320 to 850? They're like, yeah, I do like seeing that. I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> so, you know, get <laughs> your you credit. You, can, you-, you, you can't get your points if you don't take the <laughs> You don't take the, the, the assessment. What are you complaining about? But you know, you see the faces on the on the Zoom when, you, when we pull up their score, and they're looking at, it and they're like, you know, and they're nudging their wife, and they're like, "Good job!" and thumbs up, and it's and that's that's a good feeling right there to see to see that kind of effect that's created because they literally get to see their score evolve over time. Like they they start out at three twenty, and then they're at four twenty, and they're at five hundred, and they're at six hundred. They're literally fixing their their stuff and getting their financial house in order with you. Like I'm assuming that's, that's part of the whole dynamic is they, they get to see the score move as independent from just, did I get a good investment returns and is my net worth going up into the right? To your point of trying to, yeah. to, to somehow quantify what the value is of me as an advisor that's charging them either portfolio fees or planning fees or whatever it is. You know, we have to show them something that that's going to inspire in them to continue to want to utilize us and, you know, engage with us so that they can see that they're making progress. So that's why we call it results based. It's not performance based. It's results based. You know, what is the okay. result that you're getting uh, with your experience in working with us? And it's been a very valuable tool for us. So I, I'm just curious for the mechanics, like, Literally, how do you do this? I mean, you mentioned earlier, like creating the software. I mean, did you 
Like, did you go and write an entire piece of software to do this? Is there some like uh, assessments.com thing you buy off the shelf that makes this really easy? Uh, uh, like, how, how do you actually build and implement this as like an assessment in your practice? So this is actually something that we hired uh, a software developer to create. And uh, he's the one that that has the the system. I mean, we own the the intellectual capital, uh, yep. all the algorithms and all of the calculations and and everything that that has to do with that. But he actually created the the software, and now our so it's this isn't this is one of many other not assessments but um, financial metrics that we keep for our clients. And to your point we probably should just use some of the standard financial planning software out there. And the only reason that we don't, that, that I don't use some of it is because again, the type of clients that we, we work with, I wanted to customize some things. So it spoke to them individually. Uh, so we had to create some, some of our own proprietary uh, numbers and metrics that we would want to keep track of for the types of clients that we work with. So out of curiosity, I don't know how long it's been since you you built and put this in place, but like, what does it cost to get a software developer to make this and where do you find one? <laughs> it's thousands of dollars. Um, and okay, but like it, not, it, it, not it's hundreds a, of thousands, no. millions, like this is thousands of dollars. Yeah, it's thousands okay. of dollars. And every once in a while, it'll glitch just like anything else does. And, you know, we'll have issues and we got to call okay. him up and say, you know, hey, Elon, can you help fix this right yep. here? And he's uh -huh. like, yep, let me fix it. And he'll go in and do it. Basically, it's, it's a series of questions and then it has to manifest into the output. Yes, exactly. So we have, and there are some, we do have some traditional metrics where there is data that's inputted that okay. our pair planner would do, but we set it up so it's really simple to do. And it's just part of our planning process. So we have, you know, like 16 to 18 different metrics in addition to the financial prosperity index that we'll go over with our clients on a regular basis so that they can see the progress that they're making. We have a traditional net worth calculation that uh, that is part of our is part of our system, which is not, you know, obviously that proprietary. Sure. Uh, we'll manage uh, because a lot of our clients are business owners. I have profit margin. So we actually have to, we help, we help them calculate their profit margin for right. their, for their business so that they can see exactly, you know, what their profit margin are. That's important to them so that they can see the progress that they're making. I measure their, their business gross revenue so they can see the progress that they're making there because believe it or not, some of these guys just don't care. They don't track it. So I'm like, yeah. hey, look, you have to see that. Here's your targets for next year. Here's where I'd like you to get. You know, we have some traditional debt to assets ratio, you know, debt to income ratio. Okay. Um, we So a little bit more of the, I'll call it the traditional air quotes, yes. financial metrics, like uh, some of the more quantitative things that you might track. Kind of reminds me of Elements has their, you know, 12 metrics that they track in their software. So you, you've got your, your 16 for your clientele that you measure as well. Exactly. I mean, business, for example, I mean, most, most financial planning software is not going to measure the business emergency fund for a, for a private practice. So, right. you know, but I wanted to make sure someone was, that was something that was important, you know, especially after COVID, most of these guys were 
just didn't have the, enough funds in that in right. their business to be able to survive well. So, you know, we thought it was important that we measure something like that. So we had to customize it uh, to that degree, but um, okay. it's been successful in in uh, in working with our clients. And so, is this on, only for clients? Like when you you know when you start out as a client, you get your first score, and then as we work with you, it 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 moves over time, or or does this uh, I guess like, like when does this first show up as clients are getting started? So when someone engages with us, we will uh, create a, a roadmap for them and they would see all of this material in that initial roadmap. And then uh, when they are doing some kind of a review with their advisors and we can, we can update it uh, how frequently we want to. Typically, there are a couple that some people want to see a little bit more frequently, but typically we'll, we will update the numbers on an annual review with, uh, which, with each of the active clients every single year. And, and we'll give them, here's where you were last year, here's where you are now, and most importantly, here is the target that I am setting for you for this next year. Because we're big on setting targets for our clients because I think they, they appreciate that push. And, uh, I was going to say like, that's not a them setting the goal for next year. That's like you giving them a target for next year. Yes. Because target attainment is, is creates necessity in people. And if we're like saying, look, I need, this is a very important target. I want you to hit it this next year. And our, and I train my advisors to make sure that they, they, push people. Cause I think most traditional, I don't, maybe I haven't looked at it in a long time, but I don't know that it sets targets like that. Um, yeah. I guess in some, no. in some cases it does, but it, I really wanted to make sure like the people under that are people understood, this is where I want you to be next year. And, and then they're, they're, they're happy the next year we do it. Look, congratulations. You hit your target and uh, let's see what you're going to do next year. It's just we're trying to accelerate yeah. the process of getting into financial independence, and I and I think that to me is the real value of a good advisor to be able to do that. No, oh, and you know if, if you set a target for them, no one wants to come in for their annual review having missed the target, right? Just that's the yeah the joyous effectiveness of of um, uh, social accountability, like yeah, and deadlines. No one wants to come in for their deadlines. They didn't they didn't do their thing. It's uh, it there's been some interesting conversations but by and large it's been uh it's been a successful action for us interesting and and so all of this is basically part of the like the the financial metrics financial prosperity index this is all part of the like the new client process that they go through so that you can craft recommendations correct so the first thing we'll do is obviously we want to get their want to show them their numbers this is where you're at uh, try to get rid of any confusions or I don't knows financially. And the, I guess the best way to do that is to show them that hard data. Uh, and then, you know, from there we formulate a plan for them uh, to be able to, you know, create what it is that they want. And um, so the, the next part of the plan would be setting the recommendations. And if they have monies that we want to reallocate or we right. want to change their, you know, it's pretty standard, you know, financial planning actions from there, but it, it does start in, in going over those metrics. So, so now help us understand this in the context of the practice overall. Uh, like, so how, how big is the firm of, 
is revenue or assets or clients or staff, like however you measure, we use a lot of different metrics. Um, help us understand overall size and scope of the firm at this point that you're implementing this within. Yeah, I think we're, as far as revenue, um, we'll, we'll exceed 4 million this year in revenue. We have right around 300 uh, active clients. Um, I have four advisors. I'm kind of a quarter advisor. I've, I've basically gotten out of client service at this point. Um, I still have like a, a small handful. Okay. Um, and I think we have 17 staff right now. Okay. Um, but you know, a lot of what we do is built around, I mean, we have, a, as far as AUM is concerned, I, you know, we're, we're over a hundred million, like traditional AUM. I think we have another hundred in, in like insurance based products, but the value of what we do is really in our planning fees. I mean, we we're able to charge a consistent amount of planning fees because of, I think our service model. Um, for the type of clientele that we work with. And that has been really, really nice to create that. Well, so help us understand what that looks like. Because if I, I mean, if I napkin math, like over 4 million in revenue, 300 active clients, it's about $13,000 of revenue per client on, on average. Right. At 100 million of AUM, it's, it is not coming from the AUM fees, not to add up to that much. So what is this? So what is the planning fee structure, I guess, like the overall fee structure for the firm? Yeah. So it's a, we, we do charge an upfront uh, fee for a plan that we write. So anytime a, a client engages us, there is a, um, we usually charge, you know, right around 6000 $6,500 for the upfront, okay. for the upfront planning work. And then once they engage with us, we have a, a structure where, uh, we are charging them four seventy five a month, and okay. that is kind of a subscription based method. But it is, um, you know, we've been successful at, at signing people up for that. And like I said, we have two hundred and eighty, almost two hundred ninety people that are on that model. Okay, and and so, and so they they pay the planning fee for planning services. Mm-hmm. Then they also pay. Investment management for investment management services. Yep. Uh, 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 down the line, so clients maybe a mixture of a multiple different revenue streams as you build. Like that's part of the model. Yeah, and we have an insurance agency as well. So we, you know, we do insurance and and uh, life insurance and annuities and such. But it is it is really those categories. So the upfront planning fee, but that really is nothing more than you know delivering them. Mm-hmm. you know, our initial roadmap and the time and the plan. And then, and then of course we get into the recommendations that we make. Um, but that, that 475 planning fee is really the core, I think of, of what we do. And it, again, we had to do that early on because most of the types of clients that we're working with, and, and we work with healthcare practitioners and healthcare owners. And I think a lot of people think, well, these doctors are rich. They got millions of dollars. Right. That's just not the case. At least the ones that we were working with, they most of their money was wrapped up in their business, uh, and so we had they didn't have five hundred thousand dollar portfolios or million dollar portfolios, right. but we needed to help them. So we had to come up with a model where we we felt we could do that and it was fair. Interesting. So I guess across the business, 
you know, you end out with like one and a half or $2 million of ongoing and upfront planning fees that creates about half the revenue base. And then of what's left, half of that's investments. And you know, so like a quarter of the total is investments, a quarter of the total is insurance. Is that yeah. about where, where pretty, it's pretty close? I, I think it's, uh, you know, at first we were much more commission based and now we've, we've, we've flipped that to be a lot more yeah. uh, on the recurring fees and the, you know, investment management fees. You know, we try to trail everything, yeah. even if we're doing insurance products too. Okay. We don't, be- I don't- because you had, you had roots that was more insurance heavy in, in the earlier years of the in business. The, in the earlier years, you know, a lot, again, a lot of our clients just weren't, they didn't have portfolios and they weren't putting a lot of money right. away in that, in that, in that method. So we, um, and they were younger, so and they were much more insurable. So we just had a, a bit of a different model, right. but that that's changed since uh, since we started. And, and are there multiple tiers of planning fees? Like you know, if if I've got certain complexities or size or something else, is is there a a higher tier, or is it just it's a straight like four seventy five a month for everyone because you've got a consistent clientele, so you you kind of know your systems and process for it's- it. You know, working with a niche, when you work with the types of practice, practitioners that we do, you know, we, we can learn how to standardize and, and really understand each person from practice to practice. So I'm sure we have some flexibility in there. You know, if someone came to me that was outside of, you know, what we normally do, I, I, I probably could charge more, but it's just not in our wheelhouse. Interesting. And uh, so, so we just stick to what we know. I think the benefit of working in a niche is that there's a lot of repeatable, there's a lot of repeatable things that you see from person to person right. that that you get to see from a exterior view, and you know you can see those patterns develop from practice to practice. So, so how do you actually handle this, just in terms of billing and managing? 475 a month times 290 people like that's uh was say that's a lot of checks i'm assuming it's not literally all coming in as checks but when you work with a lot of clients who don't necessarily have sizable or any investment accounts you can't necessarily bill all this to an investment account so how does it how does it work just for like charging people and doing this credit cards they put it on their most of them are you know, and again, I have them check with their accountant to see, you know, whether or not they make it a personal or a business expense because okay. we are dealing a lot with their business. Uh, so a lot of them will make it a business expense and then they, and it's, we just have it set up so that we draw, draw from a credit card every single month. So, so then help us understand, like, what do you, what do you get for $475 a month? Like you said, we're, we're able to charge this amount of planning fees because of our service model. So, so help us understand this, yeah. this service model. And I, I guess even I'm realizing as I asked that I should, I should take a brief pause, say, tell us a little bit more about your clientele first. Cause you, we've, we've kind of said a few times, like you've got this focus into more of a niche. I think you said you're working with like people that have, uh, healthcare practices, but like help us understand who the target clientele is and then get into what, what you do for them. Yeah. So just to kind of 
maybe go back a little bit. You know, I, I, my my plant my my experience in the financial industry kind of morphed. You know, I started working with a, a small mutual fund company in in Dublin, Ohio, and then when I moved to Florida, uh, you know, I wanted to really be a financial planner. If I wanted to be a financial advisor, and but I also wanted to work with people that. I felt like we can make a meaningful difference to them and people that were in charge of their own quote unquote financial destiny. I know it sounds kind of corny, but we wanted to work with, with business owners and I wanted to, we wanted to help healthcare owners just because I grew up, my family was largely in healthcare. I saw that they really weren't being served very well financially. And so that was kind of where we said, okay, we want to help these types of people. Um, so we had a relationship with a consulting group that worked with physical therapists and that's where we started. So we created like a financial course for them and we started working with physical therapy owners. And I learned early on that if I didn't know, it was hard for me to give financial advice to people if I didn't understand their biggest investment. And their biggest investment was their practice. So it was really a crash course on us learning, Mm. okay, what drives value of a physical therapy practice? What are their profit margins? Who are their people? You know, um, what, uh, what, what can, what things can we do from our end to, to make sure that they're solvent and all, all these things that, that, that were built around, you know, a physical therapy practice. We had, I had to learn those and, and we, and we did. And was this a contentional, like, I think physical therapists would be an awesome niche. So let's go form a relationship with the consulting group, make a course and go after these folks. Like, was it, did you have that level of intentionality or like you landed in this and this was just like a, a, a land and explore kind of thing? I think when we first, when I first moved down here, we were doing like, okay, you got a pulse. I'll definitely take you. Mm-hmm. But it just wasn't, it wasn't the direction that we knew we wanted to go. And we definitely knew that we wanted a niche. We just maybe weren't sure exactly where we were going to start. And I think, Again, when you're intentional about things, mm-hmm. maybe something opened up and there was a communication line to this consulting group and, hey, let's let's do this. So that, that, that's really where it started from. And and then once we once we got into physical therapy, it was like, OK, I kind of understand how this healthcare practice works. So then we did the same thing with a veterinary consultant. So we met a, a veterinary uh, business consultant. And the same thing, we said, hey, we'll create a course and, you know, we'll teach your guys about finances and that'll hopefully make it easier for you to charge them for your consulting fees because they'll have more money. And, you know, from there, you know, we went to dentists and optometrists and chiropractors. And those are really the, is that four? Yeah. Those are the the primary types of practitioners that we work with. So. So I'm struck by this sort of like model that you use to enter into these spaces. So you're you find business consultants that specialize in the in the group, business mm-hmm. consultant for vets, business consultant for physical therapy folks who do the I guess the pure business consulting end. You come to them and say, "We'll help your clients with the financial planning end." 
And if we do that well, they'll also be more comfortable paying for you. So obviously, like every everybody's sort of benefiting in this yep. in this circle. I I guess I'm just trying to say, like, if they're already viewing themselves as like they're the business consultant to make these people more successful, like, like are, aren't, aren't you like aren't you yeah? Why do they need you? Or like, aren't you a a threat? Like, are you trying to take my business consulting <laughs> stuff? Would, like, yeah, you would have thought that, but no, because you know, we we're really not like, I'm not going in there and saying, you got to fire this front desk person. I'm not going in there and saying, these are the, okay. these are the stats that you need to keep for your business. It's how many new okay. patients you need every single month, which is, which is yeah. what the pure business consultants do, that's right? What, like that's it, what, that's what this should doing. be your patient load. This should be your staff overhead. You're overstaffed in the front office. Go make this change. Like that's still their domain. You're not doing Yes. that level of business consulting. We're just helping them more on the finance end, definitely showing them, you know, what their numbers should be like on the, uh, as far as like financial targets, but most importantly, making sure that the business profits are transferring to your household. And that's what happens to a lot of business owners is that they, for whatever reason, will never set up a system to really make sure that practice right. profits are channeling to their personal household. Okay. So that's where we really uncovered a lot of, of uh, and really helped these consulting groups with that and just got financial order in and, you know, instilled some financial sanity and that just made it easier for them to, um, to work with their clients as well. Cause when people aren't stressed about money, they're obviously going to be more likely to pay. Yeah. They end up making lousy, business consulting clients because they're basically just trying to figure out how to get more money out of the practice because they're feeling financially tight. And it's like, you don't have a practice problem. You have a, what you do with the money after the practice. <laughs> exactly. Problem. So yeah. great. Eric and his firm will solve that. Uh, so then the business consultant get gets, gets a better relationship out of it as well. Like they I, look like a hero. And we actually created a financial course that they could sell to their people. So they made some money on it as well. So we created a like a financial course that we would deliver to them. So, and then we just gave them the money. We just said, Hey, you guys chart, we'll deliver it for you. You just, you can charge them 2000, 3000 bucks. I just want the person so that we can talk to them about doing financial planning. So tell me more about this course. Like what's the What's the thing? What do you do? Yeah. So it was, so we, we basically created like a three day financial course and we just said all the things they didn't teach you in medical school about money. And uh -huh. it was really built around, uh, you know, the basics of what you need to know of how to make sure you're, you know, utilizing your practice, harnessing the power of your practice so you can build personal wealth and, um, you know, get out of debt and, you know, do all the basic financial functions, but how do we utilize the practice as that engine to be able to do that? So we created like a, a, a three-day course where we, we went over, you know, a lot of these basics and it was successful. Three, got like there. three full days? Just that's three, a, three it's a big time days. commitment. Okay. Yeah. We kind of, I've changed it since then where we've, we've did a virtual training, uh, what do they call it? A learning, learning system. Uh, we're putting the course online so we can still deliver that. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was three days of intensive financial training that we gave to these healthcare owners and, and uh, it was hard to deliver, but it was worth it because they were just an easier client now to work with because right. they were educated. So 
But you're doing this like they're not necessarily clients yet. You're doing this as essentially as a way to prospect, like get get in front of people who might become clients in the future. Yes. And and so the model from the consultant's end is you told them like you can charge for this couple of days, business owners. So like you can charge a couple of grand. You can charge for this. You can keep that money. Yep. We're happy to deliver it for you and set you up for success on that because we know or are confident we're going to get a reasonable number of clients out of this and it's going to work for us in the long run. If I get 20 people in that in that course, I know that we'll probably close at least 15 of them. So oh, it's that high. It was pretty successful when you got when you're in front of someone for 3 days and and they've got some kind of money concerns in the first place. So they, yeah. they, they're, they're not signing up for a three-day course for a couple of grand <laughs> unless they are very motivated to do something about their finances. Yes. So it, I still have clients today that, that were part of that, that, that took that course. And um, it's morphed over the years, and, but it, it was still part of you know, our, our system that we almost required people to go through it just because they were so much easier to work with when they were right. when they went through that intensive training and i guess for a lot of consultants i mean i suppose it varies depending on whether they're a big big consulting firm sort of like an individual person who does consulting but for an individual consultant like if you're charging a couple of grand and they can get 20 people in the room and there's 20 30 40 grand of revenue on the table like that's not trivial for an individual consultant like that's they didn't have to do anything, but good, yeah, it's a good, amount of, good amount of money for them to basically monetize their list and their and their client base, especially if you're ultimately closing seventy five percent of them. Like that's a monster outcome for the business, right? This you know you're you're doing quite well despite the foregone revenue of the the workshop fees. Exactly, exactly. So it was it was a benefit to them. It was easy for them. They didn't have to do anything on the delivery aspect of it. They could just charge it. And we just had to make sure that we delivered. And that was it. What's the ask? Like, just what's the ask at the end to get them to become clients that doesn't make it awkward or a tough sales pitch? Well, we would set up one-on-ones with people afterwards okay. so that we would, we, we, we built in time so that we could actually close people while we were there. Um, but, uh, you know, everything that we've always done has been remote. You know, that's why when COVID happened, it was really no skin off our back because we have clients. We're just, we're used to doing business remotely. So all of our clients are spread all over the United States and, so all of them are from Maine to Hawaii. But so, but the workshops, it sounds like were these courses were in person or not we did, necessarily. We, we did require them to fly to Florida to um, to do the courses, but Clearwater, oh, wow. Florida, to, but, but Clearwater, Florida uh, is a pretty beautiful place. So it wasn't really hard to get people to come to Florida to, to take this course. That's interesting. So, so you go to a consultant and say, like, "Hey, you've got or as a veterinarians all over the country. Mm-hmm. We're doing a three day financial course on how to get your your financial and business house in order. It's three grand. You fly to Florida for it. You know, hey, stay through the weekend. It's lovely down here. Bring your significant other. Take a business right off. <laughs> all that, all that, all that, all that good stuff. Consultant keeps the money." 
and then you've got these warm introductions and now like three days of in-person relationship building time with them so that you do follow-ups afterwards to say, hey, like we'd love to get someone on, on time with you to just talk a little bit more about how you're applying this in your financial life and your business. And then that becomes the opportunity to say, hey, do you want to work with us to help you with this ongoing? You got it. And of course, we had everyone take that financial assessment. So, ah, yeah, so they, they, <laughs> comes so they, full circle, buddy. They take, the, they take the prosperity index as a part of the program. They, they take that as part of the program. So we give them their score and put it right in front of their face and be like, oh, my God, do you really want to sit down there in that red or would you like to be up in the green zone? So, uh, yeah, it was it worked really well. And, you know, but there's always a shelf life with any consulting group. And we, you know, again, Things we learned over time that I just can't rely on consulting groups or, you know, referral partners like that for clients. And then we had to, you know, really start like, okay, how we have to figure out this marketing thing so that we go direct to these types of people. I was going to ask what morphed because you're you're describing a lot of this that seems to be working so well in the past tense. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What what changed? You know. Uh, relationships with the consulting groups changed and I I don't know what happens sometimes and I could probably take responsibility for it too. Maybe just communication drops out or expectations that we're going to start giving you referrals. Uh, like I'm speaking to the consulting groups, like they want referrals from us. And at that point, I really, we, we weren't suited to like to do that. Right. Um, but there well, was just... if, if your clients mostly come from consultants, even if it's other yeah. consultants, like I can't really like, yeah, I, I can't do I'll, that. I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll take, I'll, I'll, I'll take a client from one of the other consultants, give it to you, but only if I take one of your clients, give it to them. So I don't think either of you are going to like that. At the end. Yeah, that, that's not going to work. So, but I think like anything, you know, in life, you just can't rely on one of anything. And when we're, when we were dealing with how we are client acquisition, uh, how are we getting clients? And it was just like, wow, this is the only, I mean, yeah, it was successful. Yeah. I think it, it really was, you know, it was an anchor, a ballast, whatever you want to call it for us to get new clients, but we just couldn't rely on that. So then we were like, okay, so now we have to start, okay, now we have to go on to road shows and we're going to have to start going in front of these veterinarians and start going into, you know, get yeah. speaking engagements in, in, you know, other areas so that we can start getting leads and then figure out the whole digital marketing and, you know, how are we, you know, doing boot camps and online boot camps, you know, but it's, but it's morphed from just concentrating on or relying upon the consulting groups to give us new clients. So what what paths and strategies did you at, did you end up pursuing? Well, we would go to uh, like let's say a veterinary event, and then we would pay for a speaking spot where I could go up there and, and talk to a room full of veterinary practice owners, and then we would you know generally be able to to close you know a significant number of those people um, to be clients. So, so that's so they're not getting like they're not getting the three day nope course thing. This is I, I'm assume veterinary uh, practice owner conferences are not dissimilar to advisor conferences, like lots of one hour breakouts, and you get to do your thing in an hour and try to make an impact. That's it. Yeah, you get about an hour to talk. So I really had to get good at at the the one hour talk. 
And I think we did. And we, you know, we got it so that it was meaningful and impinged. Uh, and they, so what, what kind of topics would you come to them with? Well, mostly it was most of with speaking to veterinarians, I think they never got into it for money at all. Most of them got into it because they just love pets and animals right. and financially it shows. So I think when you show them, look, we can drastically improve your financial condition quickly by just making a couple tweaks to how you're handling your finances and your money. And it'll make all the difference in the world to you. It'll now make you feel like it's worth owning this business as opposed to going through the proverbial owner burnout. Yeah. And most of the burnout that I've saw was just, they not paying themselves enough. Right. You know? So, you know, once you show them that and they're like, Oh my God, I just gave them permission to pay themselves. Yeah. You know, it's always something simple. It really is. Yeah. And once we did that, it was just like, oh, okay. So, you know, now we're, but it's, that's different talking to dentists because dentists are, don't have that problem. Uh-huh. They, they have, <laughs> they're, they're a different beast, but you know, we, we had to learn, you know, the, the different types of healthcare practitioners, there's nuances to them as well, <laughs> but um, that's the fun so, part. So what would you have to pay to get these kinds of speaking opportunities thousands of dollars tens of thousands of dollars in some cases so it's but expensive okay. it's expensive i mean so if you you really got to be like i don't know if i would just start off doing that if i was someone you have to have a bit of a base and a commitment to saying like all right we're definitely gonna go all in yeah. on, on these people but yeah i mean in some cases i i think i we just wrote a check for fifteen thousand to do a, a speaking engagement for, you know, but Hey, if I'm going to get up in front of, you know, 50 owners, then it's worth it to me because I feel like we can, you know, we can close them and, um, you know, it'd be worth, it's worth the investment to do that. And, and how do you get them from one hour session at the conference to like actually follow up and engage with you? Yeah. So we, have them fill out a financial prosperity index assessment. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I've up. heard of that now. <laughs> no, it's uh, so we have like a, a process where you know we will give them a book. So I wrote a book um, that was specific to practice owners, and so I'll do that as a, as a giveaway in exchange for that. We get a their card and and you know we set up an appointment with them to talk. So generally it's, it's some kind of giveaway that we do so that they will say, Hey, I'll give you this free book and then just give me your card so we can follow up with you. And then we'll schedule a call with them. And, you know, again, because we have so many veterinary owners right now, I can, I have so many success stories, you know, it kind of builds a little bit of momentum doing that. I don't know if I would recommend people doing that to start, but it's, it's something that we're doing right now to build our client base. So now take me back. You you take these practice owners on. They're into this ongoing planning offering at four hundred and seventy five dollars a month. So so now help us understand. Like what do you what do you do for these practice owners for four hundred and seventy five dollars a month ongoing? Our service model and part of what I I talk to them about quote unquote other advisors and I, I look I try not to. I don't want to speak disparagingly of, of other advisors and their models, but I also know 
that most of the experience that these people have is a, a meeting one to two times a year going over their their portfolios with their advisors. And, you know, our business model is is such where my advisors are talking to their clients at least once a month. And I think that's a big differentiator right there. If you're going to charge a monthly amount, if you're going to charge a monthly subscription, it, you really can't go more than six to eight weeks, I think, without talking to that person. Because you're going to see the credit card bill, right? You're going to see, so, I'm paying so four seven. So you're four aiming seven. for some touch point at least every other month. Yeah, there, yeah. Generally, it's every four to six weeks is I think the timing uh, that okay. that I figured out. I think that was the the amount of time where someone would like want to be talked to or have something come up in their life because these people are constantly having to make financial decisions all the time. Owning a business, you're constantly yep. confronted with having to make financial decisions. When do I expand? Should I buy this piece of equipment? You know, um, should I buy a building? Uh, should I refinance? You know, um, whatever it is. Uh, should I look at selling? You know, can I bring on this new associate? Whatever, whatever the questions are, they're going to need financial guidance on that. So I, we have a checklist of 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 what my advisors are supposed to go over. Basic questions I want to make sure that they're doing, but there are touch points where they're talking to them very, very frequently, and that's that is the way that we're able to charge four seventy five a month because they have that that person now knows I can call up. You know, Eric, I can call up Josh, call up Zach for whatever reason I need to, and they're going to help me navigate whatever questions that I have. And is the expectation, like, does touch point mean like your advisors picking up the phone or sending an email? I mean, just I know for some firms, like, we send a monthly newsletter, those count as some of our touch points. Others are like, no, 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 like, touch point means like human being talks to other human being on phone or video. Like, what's What's touch point in your world? It's a it's a Zoom call. It's an actual okay. it's an actual call where they're going, where they're talking to them about something. So okay. when it's either implementation of their, you know, if we do a review, there was implementation actions that we want to. It sounds like a lot of it is, notwithstanding the discussion that you you try to be more on the financial side than the business consultant per se. Mm -hmm. That a lot of this is business related finance questions it it is i mean they they get their profit and loss statements every single month so my advisors actually have the clients upload their profit and loss statements to them every single month even okay. though they're so they so again it's 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 a constant so when it comes to financial matters they're looking at us as their financial experts not their accountants you know obviously they have cpas and bookkeepers but um, they're looking to us, you know, for financial guidance. And you would think, what the hell am I going to talk to this person about? Right. It's a lot I, of calls. Yeah. I never had an issue. Right. Anytime I got on the phone with someone, I was like, what do you got your attention on right now? Right. Yeah. First question I always ask them, what do you got your attention on? And mm -hmm. bleh, right. And they'll tell you. Uh, this, this, and this, and I'm uncertain about this. And what about this? And, the, and it just, it always leads into uh, an effective call where we clear up some confusions, some uncertainties that the person has. 
And I have a list of standard questions that I want to make sure that they're doing. Um, what, you know, making sure. What else is on your standard list? Well, I have, um, like, for example, like, like one of the first things that I have every practice owner do is set up a, um, I call it a wealth storage account, where I have them take 10% of their practice revenues every single week. And I have them channel that into a, well, like a personal investment, whatever you want to call it. Like, I'm sure there's a number of names for it, but I'm just trying to get them in the habit of taking, um, paying themselves as an owner. Okay. Okay. And that's been very effective because it allows the, it allows them to really, you know, they put money in their 401ks and their IRAs, but I'm trying to accelerate this whole process. So that's one of the first things we show them how to do. If you ever read the book Profit First, I'm sure you have, right? Yeah. That, um, it's kind of that concept where I'm having them expense out their profit or at least a portion of their profit to pay that to their their household. And we utilize that to further build other investments. Right. Um, so I, I want to make sure that they're doing that. So every call, it's like, hey, where are we at on that right now? Oh, I see, I see you're here on the schedule. You're only doing 4%. Let's try to bump that up to 5% next week. You know, so it's just, again, constantly trying to push them to be able to um, to do more and um, and reward themselves and compensate them, compensate themselves correctly. Uh, so that would be one going over some debt. You know, how are you doing on your debt schedules? Are you paying? What's the next thing to go off on your debt schedule? Oh, yeah, we got four more payments and our cars going to be paid off. Good. Let's make sure that we know exactly where that's going to go after that's paid off. OK, great. You know, how are uh -huh. you doing on your, I mean, just, there is a structure to the call. Like I actually wrote up a policy for my advisors of like, this is what I want you to ask. These are the questions I want you to start with because I want to make sure that this person, you try to start going off into what you want to talk to them about and you're ignoring what's on their mind. Right. So uh, you have to make sure like, that's why I asked that first question is like, what do you got your attention on? If you don't have anything that you have your attention on, here's a list of things that I want to go over with you. So we do have it codified to that degree that we have, you know, a series of questions um, that are just making sure that they're doing all their basic actions or, and anything that we need to do from the annual review that they're, right. that they're making sure that they do, you know, I mean, it could be anything from like, Hey, have you, have you done your, uh, updated your, I don't know, your business registrations, you know, have you done your business minutes or anything like that? Uh, oh no, I haven't done that yet. Okay. Let's make sure that you do that. Um, so, you, so you then have a, a big checklist for the advisors of what, what some of these question talking points are. Correct. Okay. Okay. And because all the clients are practice owners, the questions pretty much work for everyone. So is there other is there other like planning work or deliverables or such that you do or build up to through the year? Absolutely. Um, we have a, a, another piece of software that we purchased for business valuations. So again, it was something that um, I found through one of our um, the platform that we work with, um, which is AssetMark. They had some benefits that, that we could utilize as advisors. One of them was a valuation service where we could actually offer business valuations or probably more like appraisals um, for, for our clients. 
So, and again, that's really important to them because they want to know yeah. like, what's the value of my business? So that okay. we, you know, we purchased that. I, I, we, okay. you know, so I like, was, not, not like you acquired the software company, like you, you, pay, you pay to use the software. You, you found a tool that does this. Exactly. It's biz equity. So they, and they've been great as far as like, you know, when we tell them, Hey, look, you know, this industry, uh, you know, because they pull a lot of the, I think, the data from, you know, certain sales going on in the industries. And then, you know, we give them the data as far as the client's profit and, you know, revenue and other, and other things. And they give us a, you know, a range of values and it's not like a professional valuation, but it's sort of nice to see, you know, a practice owner can see what the value potential value of their investment is. And, um, so that's been something that's been pretty successful as well. Interesting. So you're not holding out as doing like, a quote-unquote formal valuation to prepare you for sale, but let's at least get some benchmark of what your what this practice that you build is worth. Exactly, and you know we do a lot of income stream planning because a lot of them will always want to talk about, hey, you know, am I okay if I if I wanted to sell my practice? You know, what what is my life going to look like? So you know, we do a lot of work on on that end. You know, showing them what they're going to get from their they're building real estate, what they're going to get from all their other investments. I think typical, you know, income planning that any advisor would do. Um, right. But we, we certainly, you know, are, are pretty frequent about making sure we go over that with them. So it, a combination of things, but I think the the value is just that that person understands that we, we get them. Right. And that seems to be important to the types of healthcare practitioners that we work with. Like they know that we know them. And right. there's a lot of value to that. Interesting. Interesting. Um, and so how do you think about this from a capacity perspective? Like how many, when you're doing this level of touch points to clients all the way through, how many, how many clients can an advisor manage to before this gets overwhelming? So I would say, I mean, when I was doing it, I, I could, I don't know, I, I did, I had over a hundred, but I think, probably 90 to a hundred is where I'd like to okay. keep each advisor that puts them at about from a production standpoint. That's there, you know, I like to see my guys do about a million, million two in production themselves. But remember, Michael, they don't, they don't have to go out and quote unquote, get the clients. Right. So right. they, you know, I, I really wanted them to focus on working with the clients and getting results and not have to so much do the upfront, although I'm changing that a little bit. I'm having them do some of the upfront selling now of the plans. Um, so if you, to, if you bring in a lead, they, they can, they can yeah. start talking. They don't have to find the person, but Correct. they can answer the phone when you make it ring. Correct. Correct. But yeah, I think the capacity is uh, probably a hundred clients for each advisor. Okay. So, you know, so Michael, if you're at four, 470 and five a month, it's almost six grand a year, a hundred clients. Like there's 600,000 of revenue there. Plus the, plus the investment advisory, plus some of the, the insurance implementation. So that's yep. how you get to like a million, a million two per, uh, of revenue per advisor. Yes. So what surprised you the most about this path of building an advisory business? Oh, I think every once in a while you get disappointed in some of the choices that you make with people. And mm. um, I'm pretty optimistic, but I've had, 
look, we've all been, I've been through a bad partnership breakup. That was pretty tough. Uh, so I would just make sure that people understand that if you're going to have partners, definitely make sure that you guys are both on the same page and going in the same direction, which I'm sure, you know, sounds pretty canned, but it is pretty true. So what, what, what happened that you, you ended up not in one of those situations, I take it. Oh, I was in that, in one of those situations with a bad partner. Um, well, no, we had, you know, I had a, uh, when I first moved down here, there were three of us and it was, uh, myself and then my two other partners, but they were married. Right. And, and then of course they got divorced. So, then we had to go through them getting a divorce and then trying to figure oh, out whether so or not. So you got, you got to be part of their divorce. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? <laughs> so then, so then it came to, well, who do I want to be partners with right now? And, you know, you because we, pick, so I had to pick and uh, it, it kind of naturally happened, but that was probably one of the harder things to deal with right there. And so is, is there something you would have done differently though, or is that just the reality? Like I unfortunate when you have partners who are married and then their marriage doesn't work out. Yeah. I probably would have tried to figure out like, all right, is this a solid marriage, you know, where mm. you can build something on and should I know, you know, were there indicators? Okay. But I guess you really don't know, but I don't, I don't know if I do anything different on that one. It led me to where we're at right now. And that's, that's a pretty good position. I got a good relationship with my partner. We know the, the direction that we're going. It's still hard. Uh, the marketing aspect is, is particularly tough. I will, I will also, I forgot to thank you for that marketing seminar that you did yeah. not too long ago. Our uh, marketing uh, summit. Oh yeah. Your marketing summit. Yeah. I got a really good, um, the, I'm sure you heard this too from the the referral uh, the referral person that you yeah. brought on. That was excellent. That was so good. Um, with how she had formulated how to yeah ask her, for referrals. Her like three three questions that she asked to set up referral conversations with everyone. That was great. Uh, so I think the biggest challenge right now is just finding good leaders in the organization and. And that's, that's probably the biggest challenge is like, you know, cause I've gotten to the point where I don't have to, to now my advisors are on their own. Like I, I don't need to advise anymore, which is a tremendous amount of freedom, yeah. you know, cause I don't have to do that. And now my job is to make sure the quality control is good. And obviously to be, you know, the, someone that's going out yeah. there and communicating, but just trying to build leaders to, to take over the organization and, and really make sure that we understand how to market really effectively. I mean, that's still, I mean, I always want more clients and I always feel like we're not having enough right now. So I don't know if that's just me, but I guess that's every advisor, isn't it? At some point, we don't have so enough what, clients. Yeah. Well, so what, what's good client growth for you? I mean, just, you are at 300 clients over the path that you've taken. I mean, I would like to bring on a hundred new clients, 120 new clients a year. And okay. that would be, you know, where I could bring on a couple of advisors every single year, yeah. new advisors just to, to grow it a little faster. Um, 
you what know, what has been the growth pace? So we just we've had mixed years. We've had some years where we did seventy, some years we did fifty. I think last year we did maybe sixty or sixty-five. I can't remember exactly the number. Um, and I don't know what we're on track for this year. Um, I think we've you still know, a big number by many advisor standards for, especially if you're doing that with centralized markings. It's not like you're your four advisors aren't out there beating the streets as it were. This is your centralized marketing going out to conferences and doing the things that you do that's bringing in 60 odd clients through the, the various niches that you pursue. But then I look at, should we, should we be getting a lot more referrals than we are? Like how many referrals should I be getting every single year? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, how do I use testimonials now better? How do I get it to a point where I could start bringing on more people? Cause I get a lot of joy out of getting advisors like confident and like being able to get actual results with their people. So I guess I just want to do it faster. Mm. So, but thank you for acknowledging me that we're doing okay. Yeah. That's a, still a pretty, <laughs> I mean, by absolute numbers, it's a big number on a relative, on a percentage basis. Uh, you know, if you're at 300 clients and 60 came on last year, like that's that's 20% client growth. I think Schwab's Beast's recent benchmarking study said across the whole the whole base of their advisors, the average client growth rate was about 6%. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I guess that makes me feel better. But um, I don't know. We just have a, a, a target to, to try to help as many of these healthcare yeah. owners as possible. So yeah. that's my necess- my own necessity level, I guess. So tell us more about the low point on this building journey for you. Oh, it was definitely when I had my health issues. Like I had a heart attack last October. Um, and, you know, not to get to like, re-stimulate people on if they've ever had a health issue or anything like that. But I've had, you know, I got, I went to cardiac arrest and they had to hit me six times, five times with the the defibrillator. And that was definitely a low point for me, hundred percent. Not because um, I felt the business was consuming me or anything like that because I, I felt okay about that. I guess it was just my own lack of taking care of myself that I was most disappointed in, Hmm. you know, and that, that was where I was like, God, Eric, you, I mean, you probably should have known that, you know, you have a family history, you know, you can't be eating like you were. And, you know, if you looked at me, Michael, you'd probably say I was in pretty decent shape, but, um, that was probably a low point, you know, of just like being 50 years old and having something like that happen to you. You're just like, God, that sucks. So, so like, has that changed things for you since then? Uh, 100%. So I have taken a very, uh, active role now in making sure that I take care of my body very well. And, uh, I don't, and, and quite frankly, I have, have I spent as much time in the office? Probably not. Um, but I don't feel like that I'm disconnected from it. 
and I don't feel like I have, uh, I'm putting the burden on anybody else just because we were able to set up systems so that I, you know, I do, do compliance and, you know, I do a lot of the speaking, but I, but I can do that, you know, from remotely, I can do that, you know, from wherever I'm at, but, um, it, it definitely didn't, uh, it just changed my awareness of being able to take care of my, my body a, a lot better than what I had been. So, and I feel great right now. I've been, you know, a personal trainer, a much better shape. My blood work is now is, is really good, but I was really happy about the staff. I mean, they, they back me up very well and are very supportive. And so that, that turned out to be a pretty big win for me. So, so what do you know now you wish you could go back and tell you like 15 years ago as you were moving Florida to start this business? What could I tell myself? Celebrate more. Mm. Celebrate your wins more because it's one thing to achieve. And I see a lot of people that like are kind of like maniacs on just it's a constant achievement. What's next? What's next? What's next? But, and I tell clients this too, I go, you have to celebrate your wins because if you don't do that, then, um, you know, there's, there's just something therapeutic about just taking time and just acknowledging yourself and, and the successes that you have. So I would, I would definitely tell myself just to celebrate more when it came to any kind of success that you do have in your life. So that would probably be the one thing I would change. So any other advice you'd give younger, newer advisors getting started with their careers today? Well, I think a lot of people are afraid to make mistakes. Um, Certainly I've made a lot of those, but I don't know. I think the the industry is well. You would probably have a much better pulse on the industry than than I do. I still think it's it's you know with, with all of the things being told out there about AI and robo this and robo that. You know, there's still going to be a place for there's nothing. Nothing is better than being able to have a live conversation with somebody. So mm-hmm. I I would really tell people like really observe your communication, like how you communicate with other people. Do you acknowledge them? Do you try to, cause like, like when I'm talking to you, I mean, you're obviously, you know how to have a good communication. You acknowledge people, you know, you don't like talk over them. Like these are little things that are really, really important when you're like, do you have the intention to understand this person or are you just like thinking of the next thing to say, you know, like really work on, your communication cycle with how you interact with other people. And is it, are you creating a good effect or not? And are people willing to talk to you? And I think that's going to be always the first skill that any advisor is going to need to have if they're going to be successful at all. So as we wrap up, this is a, a podcast about success. And, and just one of the themes that always comes up is the, the word success means very different things to different people. So as someone has built what anyone would objectively call very successful business already is you're cresting $4 million of, of revenue and, and continuing to grow forward. So the, the business is in a good place. 
how do you define success for yourself at this point? Yeah, it's definitely not one area. I would define success because I think life is comprised of many different urges to to excel and and to live. And clearly I want to succeed personally. I want to make sure that I look good. I want to make sure that I feel good. I want to make sure that I, you know, take care of my health. I want to make sure that my family dynamic is in good shape, that I'm my family unit is strong. Uh, I want to make sure that any groups like my business or any other areas that I'm involved with, um, that I'm contributing, that I am, you know, someone that can be dependent upon. Um, I want to make sure other human beings are are doing well and are thriving and succeeding. You know, I want to have good interactions with the environment uh, and, um, you know, in, in the physical universe out there. And, you know, I want to make sure that I have a good connection with, you know, my spiritual side and, you know, any, any higher being or supreme being that, you know, that one wishes to believe in. So success to me, Michael, is making sure I'm, I am surviving well in all of those different areas and not neglecting uh, or just focusing on one of those. Uh, I love that. I love the the breath. If I, maybe it just appeals to my hardwired financial diversification <laughs> mentality. <laughs> like, no, you can't pick one thing. You got to spread across all of them. Like, yeah, well diversified. Yeah. Yes, a well diversified human being is is certainly you know I think what we can all aspire to be. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Eric, for joining us on the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a financial advisor? Check out the leading financial planning industry blog, Nerd's Eye View, at www.kitsis.com, where Michael covers the latest practice management trends and financial planning strategies. And by joining the members section, you can earn IMCA and CFP continuing education credits, along with exclusive member content. Get it all now at www.kitsis.com.